This week's episode is brought to you by the Talk Buster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce of their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So, listen to the Talk Buster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shield, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today? Actually, it's going pretty well. Um, I did cut myself helping my mom move some stuff, but uh, it's not a big deal. But I am in the process of buying a house, so... Big big changes on my, my end of things. Join in the landholders. Yep. <laughs> Well, I had an no, opportunity, so you know, I had to take take a hold of it. So, hey, nothing wrong with that. As my father says, land is always the best investment because someone always wants it. Mm, how are you doing, Ulrich? I'm about to go into a three day weekend, and I'm halfway through a very large beer because, fun fact, I forgot we were recording tonight. This is gonna be fun. Yeah, I remember the last time we recorded something with Ulrich, tipsy. So, <laughs> for like better term. So, before we get into our thing today, though, Auric, you want to tell the the beautiful listeners about our patrons? Careful, that one might be copyrighted. Anyways, our loyal legion are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Bay, Brandon Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Solomansky, and Seth Decker. And I'm just wondering this now, Brandon Agnew, any relation to the vice president? I've read this so many times, and I've never made that connection, and now I want you to comment. Are you related to Agnew? If so, can we get a pardon? We won't need it right now, but we might at some point. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion and have me question your, you know, family connections, head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. 25 cents an episode gets you early access to all our content, and for a dollar more, you get access to even more bonus content, and best of all, you get to help us keep making this podcast week to week. So today we're doing something that we do every year, but is a little bit different this time, which is, have you seen the title? These are basically our movies of 2020. Now, normally we do a top 10, but because of COVID, I didn't even see 10 movies that came out this year. Now, Ulrich has his thing where he's like, I am going to count movies that I saw for the first time this year, no matter when they came out. And he's perfectly allowed to do that. Whatever. I don't uh, feel that that's like... It kills the spirit of it for me. So, and of the nine movies I saw, only, or one of them I actively didn't like. One of them I have no idea what I felt like, and the other seven are worth talking about. So, uh, I'm tearing mine. Ulrich isn't tearing his. So, point is, this is basically like a movies conversation that is like three different potential movie conversations kind of smashed together. So because, because COVID. 2020. <laughs> yes. No, there's only one movie. Like I, I kept my list like I do every year of worst movies I saw. And there's only one movie on that list this year. And I'm not going to talk about it because Star Wars is banned on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. The only movie that I saw that I actively really didn't like was Fantasy Island. And the movie that I saw that I have ambiguous feelings on and thus don't really want to talk about was Horse Girl. So, oh, that's a weird ass movie. I forgot I saw that. I'm not talking about that. Yeah, I, no, I don't want to forget that movie happened. 
Uh, I don't think I'm smart enough to talk about Horse Girl personally. So no, I think we are. I just that was a weird ass movie, folks. Anyway, so since I'm doing well, let me put it this way: Ulrich has more films than me on his list because of the, his his way of doing rules. So why don't we start with one of your things, Ulrich? Just pick a movie and let's talk about it. I'll try to keep us on track. <laughs> I'm going to go from the top down because that's easiest. And I'm going to talk about Doctor Sleep. Holy that's the, shit. Uh, it's a sequel to The Shining, right? With Ian McGregor? Yes. Holy shit, this movie's good. Like, I, I, I wanted to see it. I better, didn't. <laughs> well, this is why I do my system is a lot of times I don't get to see movies I want to the year, the time I do. And I don't want to miss out talking about them. But yeah, Doctor Sleep is fucking amazing. I mean, I'm, I think this is Mike Flanagan. I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but dude is knocking it out of the park with his movies. Aren't you, aren't you one of the people that's also deeply unsettled by The Shining? Yes. For those of you who don't know, I saw The Shining with my father at a very young age, and I have never watched it since because I was so deeply, deeply frightened by it. And yeah, this movie, when they go back to the Overlook, Spoiler alert, there's going to be spoilers for all of these movies. Not only do they recreate the scenes almost pitch perfectly, but I just felt that sense of dread rise up going, oh no, it's 30, almost 20 plus years on, and I am still freaked the fuck out by this movie. But that's only the cap, the end. There is so much movie between that that is so good, so well shot, so well directed, so well done. And it's adapting a King work, which is notoriously hard to adapt because King is bug nuts. Well, King also has such a high volume output that I feel like it's it's less that he is difficult to adapt as much as there have been so many attempts and, you know, many of them are bad and some of them, a lot of them are actually good. And it's just like, it's just a quantity thing at that point. I think a, a numbers game, really. <laughs> yeah. No, Ewan McGregor is knocking it out of the park. This movie is well shot. It is genuinely creepy when it needs to be genuine, like deeply unsettling. And it works as a sequel to The Shining, which is a movie that I didn't think they really needed. Sidebar, Ian McGregor, I think, is one of the, how do I put this? Not most, but definitely more undervalued talents, I think, in, in the business. Like, I mean, he's freaking Obi-Wan, and that's what everyone knows him as, but I first knew him in Train Spotting, and I fell in love with him with Big Fish, which still makes me bald to this day. So, you know, just saying. I like to give Ian McGregor whatever whatever he's due. <laughs> yeah, no, Ian McGregor, he really is undervalued as an actor, because this is kind of a slow movie in how it goes, but you're so entranced. You're like, no, no, I'm here. And this is like two and a half hours long, but you are here for a moment. And the depth to which it both it, it threads the needle of being a sequel to the Shining book and the book it's based on, as well as the Kubrick film that it's trying to follow up. And I love that it totally understands. Like, no, this guy went through some serious trauma as a child. But doesn't it doesn't continue it do the, to haunt him? Doesn't it do the Watchmen thing where it's more of a sequel to the book than to the movie, though? I heard, yes, I and heard no. that. Yes. In that it is very much based on the book, but it also uses imagery and story beats from the movie. Well, I mean, that's sensible. And like I said, I really love how it, you know, recognizes, no, this guy would not be okay. He 
was traumatized as a child and the effect it would have on him as an adult, as well as exploring, you know, inherited things like alcoholism and how trauma and alcoholism go hand in hand and some genuinely creepy shit. I loved this movie. By the way, if you're listening and you've been and and we we didn't make clear what this movie is about, you know, Sequel to the Shining, obviously, but Sequel to the Shining takes place like 30 years after and it's about the the kid from The Shining as an adult dealing with more Shining stuff, (laughs) right? Yeah, and and I'm doing my best to kind of dance around splits in this one because not a lot of people saw this, which is a tragedy. But this is a really, really good movie. And I would recommend this. Like, if you're like, no, 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 I don't like horror movies. They creep me out. Like, no, this is a very, as my mother would put it, Stephen King-esque horror movie. And not a lot of blood and gore over the top stuff. As much as there is creepy visuals and unsettling, you know, it racks the tension, which is Flanagan's bread and butter. If that makes any sense at all. I mean, what else has Flanagan done? He has done Oculus. He does the Haunting on Netflix series. He did Hush, which is also on Netflix. He did Gerald's Game, which is on Netflix. I have not seen any of this man's filmography, apparently. Oh, he is, I will legitimately come on and say it, one of the new Masters of Four. He has not made a bad one yet, and he understands how to do it. Hmm. All right, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's do mine next which is i'm going in order from my least favorite to my favorite of the seven movies that i liked uh and actually this one i saw last night (laughs) and i actually went to a theater to do it now i was skeptical about going to a theater because of covid but i checked the seat plan and it was a like a completely empty theater there was no one around me and on one hand and it's too bad for the movie, I guess. But on the other hand, I felt more comfortable being in the theater with no one around me. <laughs> you know I'm what I mean? I'm so jealous. I miss movie theaters. Like when AMC was running their nickel movie ticket price, I'm like, ooh, a nickel to see a movie. That's almost worth it. Yeah, I literally only went because when I saw the seat plan, I was like, okay, I'm going to be away from people. And that was uh, <laughs> Mon- Monster Hunter, the the movie based on the Capcom video game. And I feel like we're far enough now that video game adaptations are not inherently like seen as bad. Like the Warcraft movie was actually fine. Not great, but fine. Yeah. Rampage was amazing. Prince of Persia was mediocre, but not terrible. So it's like, it's not Does a, anyone well, remember Prince of Persia. I do, but Jack Gyllenhaal is my favorite actor. So yeah, I was going to say, I, I saw it in theaters and I don't remember Jack shit. <laughs> I will also Ben Kingsley, but anyway, uh, yeah. my, my point is that I don't think it's necessarily a given that, that video game movies are bad, but I'm an avid Monster Hunter player, and that I'm okay. I'm not a Monster Hunter veteran. I have friends who have been playing the Monster Hunter games since they were in handheld purgatory. I got on, <laughs> I got on the bandwagon with with Monster Hunter World, and I put about 300 hours into it, maybe 400. I'm not sure enough to like feel like I you know know what I'm talking about when it comes to to Monster Hunter World at least. And I saw the trailers for this movie, and that they were the people who made the Resident Evil movies. And I know the Resident Evil movies have their fans, but I feel like even the fans know that those movies have very little to nothing to do with the game. So, eh. so I was very skeptical. I was actually really expecting Monster Hunter to be terrible, but like maybe a fun kind of train wreck. And it didn't turn out to be that. It's not great either, but it's it's fine. It's made by uh, or Toho's behind it. Uh, I don't know really? if they were the primary, but yeah, they they were right there in the opening credits. So I was like, oh. well, this is a movie about monsters and getting Toho makes sense. Um, it's got Tony Jaw in it. For anyone who doesn't know, 
Monster Hunter as a series is as simple as you can get conceptually. You are a human, essentially, in a world that is populated by dinosaur and dragon-like monsters of many kinds. And the game involves you know, collecting weapons and items to go on hunts to hunt these giant monsters, usually because they're causing problems for people. So, so the movie then started off in a rocky territory because in the trailers reveal this, it's about a group of army soldiers from our world that go through a portal and end up in the monster hunter world. And their guns don't do jack shit against the monsters, essentially, because their, their armor stuff is too big. And Mila... Jovovich, I don't know how to pronounce her last name properly. Um, she's basically she meets up with Tony Jaws character who speaks who doesn't speak English. So we got this kind of you got these two characters and they're trapped for reasons I'm not gonna go into, but they're trapped essentially on a rock in the middle of a desert and they can't go on the sand and they can't go out at night for two different reasons. And they have to first get across the language barrier, kind of, and then second train up Mila Jovovich in monster hunting technique so they can work together to get off this desert island thing and try to get her back home. So super simple plot. The enjoyment comes and and there's like you can tell where the budget went. Like the editing and the action scenes is not great. The sound mixing, I don't know if it was the theater, but the sound mixing was kind of annoying. Like the monster roars actually kind of hurt my ears a bit. And the locations are all deserts. Like they don't have any any variety. All the budget went into making the three main set piece monsters look good. And they look fucking good. So Sounds like a win to me because I don't know Monster Hunter. But if I, I read the title and I go Monster Hunter. They hunt monsters. Did they hunt monsters? Yes. Okay, yes, it sounds like a win to me. I and mean, I know this movie too. got pulled from China because of a very unfortunate joke that I can't believe they let through. They God did. Damn. I heard about that. Oh, yeah. Look that one up on YouTube. That was... I don't know why they let that one pass. Huh. I'll, yeah, I'll say it's a very... It's a racist joke aimed at Chinese people. And this market, their, their market was China... Because, you know, China got their shit under control and can have movies again. Yeah, I'm trying to and, think about if there was something in the movie that felt that way, and I, I don't remember anything No, like I'm that, but... 90% sure they cut it because it got pulled from China because the censors went, oh, well, fuck you then. <laughs> and, yeah. which is, I, I don't know why. No, anyway, go one ahead. Thing, one thing that's really cool about this movie is that even though it, like it kind of fails on a technical level. Oh, so also Ron Perlman's in it, and Ron Perlman's always Ooh, great. So you sold me. It's got Mila Jokovic and Ron Perlman. Not just Ron I, Perlman. I'm sold. Ron Perlman wielding a giant fire hammer, as he should. Yeah. Why didn't Del Toro ever do that, Mr. Del Toro? If you're listening, because I know you are. Uh, why not? <laughs> Give Hellboy three. I want Hellboy to wield a giant fire hammer. Honestly, I would see Del Toro doing a pretty good Monster Hunter movie if he got his hand. Oh, at, at dude, at the he would. So. He would love that. That's giant monsters. That's his yeah. bag. So so anyway, so like the movie, right, where it, where it is really good, because like I said, it's bad in a few places. The, the opening is really slow, and when we're dealing with army guy stuff, it feels very conventional. Once the army stuff goes away and it's actually like Monster Hunter, it gets way more interesting. Tony Jaw is awesome because Tony Jaw is just amazing in general. If you haven't seen Ong Bak, go watch goddamn Ong Bak. But, uh, They're all on Netflix, aren't they? Uh, I, I see I them know. every time okay. I check them. Anyway, so the movie is one thing it does really well is I feel like 
definitely someone on the production team high up is a Monster Hunter player because it really does feel a lot like the game is pulled in. Like there's a bit where they there's a monster that they have to deal with. It's causing them a problem. So they have to go hunt a different monster so they can get a piece of that monster that contains like a venom that will put the other monster to sleep. So they're hunting one monster to get the items they need to hunt a different monster. And I'm like, that's that's Monster Hunter. That is playing Monster Hunter right there. So and there's so a lot of they kind of knew what they were doing. Yeah, and there's a lot of little things like that. There's literally a scene, and if you have played Monster Hunter, you will know exactly the scene I'm talking about. There is a scene that is beat for beat, like exactly taken from the Monster Hunter World game. And when it started happening, and it's like a like a 15 or 20 second scene. That's it. But when it started happening, I started laughing loudly in in the the experience like it was wonderful and i i could tell that that was a scene that someone who was a fan of the game made happen <laughs> anyway so that's my my thing i want to mention it that like yeah it's not a great movie i'm not even 100 percent sure if it's like a good movie but it's really fun the three main monsters that show up all look great and i think it's worth at least a a uh, an attempt you know I, I give it a shot i would that's like to see here I would like to see them make another one with a higher budget so we can get better editing and more wide shots so Tony Jaw can do his thing. That's going to be real interesting. You know, no, you can't show it in the U.S. and China booted you. Yeah. Also, of course, more budget would mean more locations other than desert because Monster Hunter has tons of locations. But again, I'm not actually holding that against this movie when it was like, you know, the, the first movie and they don't know if they were going to make money on it. So I don't know if it made, if it made money oh, yet. Fair. So Anyway. I'm done. <laughs> All right. Um, my next one. I know this was one I desperately tried to see last year, but I didn't get a chance. And I love this movie so much. I need to get it from my collection is Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit, I, if I remember correctly, was number two on my top ten list last year, I think. I think so. Like, your, your, your list shifted a lot. I remember talking about that. But... I have been excited for this movie since it was announced because I'm a huge Taika Waititi fan, despite the fact that, you know, theoretically I shouldn't like his films. I love it. I just love it. And I'm sorry, Taika Waititi playing imaginary Hitler <laughs> is not only hilarious, but spot on in how a child would envision him as well as this mythos that has kind of evolved around him, considering, you know, modern Nazis and all that shit. Yeah, so real, real quick, basic synopsis. I already kind of touched on it, but it's just literally late World War II Germany. Jojo is this kid who's like, what, 10, maybe? 10, 11? Yes. Uh, he is in Very the... Very young. Yeah, he is in Hitler Youth, uh, you know, the Nazi Boy Scouts, essentially. And he has an imaginary friend that is Hitler, played by Taika Waititi. So there's yep. the entire plot, or not the that's the entire setup. The that's, plot is actually interesting because he, yes, he discovers that his mother is hiding a young Jewish girl in their walls, and it causes this whole crisis of faith. What's funny about the movie, and I think this is just Taika Waititi's thing. I don't I haven't seen enough of his filmography to say, but I've gotten this impression from other people. The movie starts off in a ridiculous space, mostly poking mm -hmm. fun at essentially the juvenile ness of yep. Nazi dumb. And then it takes that idea and instead of making fun of it, like makes it the 
the primary criticism of the movie and in some really interesting and dark ways. There is a thing that this movie does, and I bring this up every time we talk about this movie. There's a thing this movie does with shoes that oh, God, absolutely man. rocked me in the yep. in, in the theater when I saw no, that. That was a thing that existed in the back of my head because I remembered you had said, look for the shoes, and that didn't make any sense to me, and then it happened. And I, I'm not going to spoil this in case you didn't see this because I don't want to find it. And it was like, oh, no, that's my weakness. Yeah, like I said, it, it, it rocked me to my core when it happened. And few movies have affected me as much as that thing did. No, so, and Scarlett Johansson's putting on a great performance as his mother. And this movie's really good. And I love it because, kind of like James Gunn does, it uses humor to kind of lure you. And it's like, hey, hey, come over here. I got jokes. Look, silly Hitler. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Okay, Nazis are fucking children, and you shouldn't <laughs> believe them for a second. And here's all the terrible shit they did. Where are you going? Get back here. I've got more. Yeah, I like any chance to talk about this movie because it's still one of my... Like, if I made a top 100 favorite movies of all years, it would probably be in my top 20. Jojo Rabbit is very good. Oh, 100%. And because I love how it kind of does the uncomfortable task of breaking down the appeal of fascism and how that kind of came about and explains it in the most simple terms. Like you target children, you target people that, you know, want to believe in this Superman that, you know, themselves have something like Jojo. He's very frightened. He's, you know, his father isn't there. It kind of breaks down. Like this is the kind of person you would get to be a fascist. This is how you get to be a fascist. Then it kind of unravels it. Like, but if presented with the smallest shred of evidence, it kind of all falls away. And can we talk about Sam Rockwell in this movie? Holy uh, shit. You know what's funny? I'd seen Sam Rockwell in movies for a long time, but I never really gave him a second thought until Jojo Rabbit. His role in Jojo Rabbit made me completely reevaluate his entire career. Dude, not only is he hilarious, the, his character arc is heartbreaking. Like, this movie makes you feel bad for a Nazi, which, as you know, the stance on this podcast is, fuck Nazis. Yeah, but a big part of what Jojo Rep is doing is that it's saying, hey, the people who were, you know, in this, there were still people there. That Nazism and the juvenile, like, fantasy of, of Nazism is the problem. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't let Nazis off the hook. Don't get me wrong. No. But, but it does go a long way to be like, you know, these are still people with their own pathos and here are the reasons why they got, you know, into this in the first place. Like Sam Rockwell's reason for being a Nazi seems to be actually completely separate from the thing that Taika Waititi is criticizing with the movie. And that's kind mm -hmm. of interesting. So No, this is a really, really well-directed, well-shot, well-written movie. And it's got Taika's, you know, signature humor but unlike, like I've criticized Thor Ragnarok, it doesn't run from the serious. It's like, nope, we are going to sit here together and we're going to go through this and you're going to feel sad and I'm going to feel sad, but we're going to come out this better for it. We also get some catharsis. The last scene with imaginary Hitler is nothing but catharsis. So anyway. I love, have you heard the story of why he plays Hitler? Uh, I have, but I don't remember it. I, I thought it was that no one wanted to do find it. Yes, he couldn't find anyone that wanted to play Hitler. So he's like, well, I, I, I guess I'm playing Hitler. And well, he could, find, he, could find, he could find no one who wanted to play Hitler as Hobbes, essentially. Yep. Like, everyone well, will play just, Hitler as a villain, but this is, yeah. this is a much more complicated 
portrayal of Hitler. <laughs> well, there's just like a nice touch of a I don't want to I don't want to assume he's Maori. I know he's New Zealander. So a Pacific Islander playing Hitler that just like takes all the piss out of any Nazi. Like it's going to piss the Nazis off immediately, which is always your goal. And he's playing this caricature of it, which is doubling down on the you're stupid and I'm mocking you. All right. So I love I love this movie, but we've been talking about it too long. We got a bunch of movies to go through. So I'm going to cut us right to the next one on my list. My number six which is Jumanji 2, the next, or Jumanji the next level. I guess technically Jumanji 3, but... Uh, oh, yeah, it is technically Jumanji 3. I right, we can kill two birds with one stone, because this is also on my list. Yeah, so there's not a whole lot to say about it, other than it was really fun. If you like yep. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, you'll like the next level, which is literally yep. doing the same thing, except it's just a different kind of joke, whereas before the jokes were things like, oh, Jack Black playing a teenage girl... Now we've got jokes like Dwayne Johnson playing old uh, Danny DeVito and Kevin Hart playing old uh, Donald or Dan Glover. I don't remember. Donald Dan, Glover. Donald, Donald. All right, Donald Glover. But what's funny about that, really quick, is that man Kevin Hart does a really good like impression of, of Donald Glover. It's wonderful. There's well, a joke. Let's, let's talk about the uh, the MVP of Aquafina doing Danny DeVito. AKA old Jewish man. That was fucking hilarious. I'm like, oh, she's good. Like she nails him. Also, I, I totally am always willing to admit that I have a giant crush on uh, Karen Jillian, especially in these movies where she has her glorious long red <laughs> hair and it's just like a badass. Ruby Roundhouse is yeah, that that's See, that's that's for me. Axel says glorious long red hair. I hear booty short. That too. All of that, everything about Ruby Roundhouse is amazing to me, man. <laughs> yep, yep, no, no arguments here. That is, that is engineered to, uh, yeah, Danny DeVito. He's fun. Anyway, like yeah, there's there's a joke in there. <laughs> I, I know that repeating a joke is not going to be the same thing, and it's, but there's a joke in there where where they think that Dwayne the Rock Johnson's character dies, and and Kevin Smith or not Kevin Smith, sorry, Kevin Hart as Donald Glover says something like, "Did I kill him?" By talking too slow, like he always said I would, <laughs> and it just it killed me to hear that that delivery. But yeah, it's no. it's a really fun movie, and it's not it doesn't take itself seriously like at all. It's you know video game as movie. It ends in a way that is like, are they gonna do another one? And what are they gonna I do with another one? Do another one. No, this I want is them one to, of yeah. those movies that somehow keeps working despite the fact that it shouldn't. I think the reason why it works is because it is so genuinely not serious about itself. Like yep. it's it, literally it just, what it is. yeah, it's literally just, Hey, let's have all these actors have fun in this ridiculous premise and have everyone else have fun, which oddly enough, even though tonally it, these two movies, welcome to jungle and next level, tonally they're very different from the original Jumanji, but I feel like, and I might be overstepping my bounds here, but I feel like, Robin Williams would have approved of what's going on here oh, just Robin on the merit Williams of like love the fuck out of this because it's so much poking fun at the actors. Yeah, exactly. I think he'd get behind. Like this is it's... one big joke about Dwayne Johnson, like the smolder. Oh no, is he having a stroke? The rock, by the way, is so funny. Like I 
What's with these wrestler actors that are great in comedy roles after Batista and The Rock just are hilarious, man. So and even John no, Cena, putting John Cena yeah, in like the comedy say, don't, don't give John, don't skip on John Cena. John Cena is fucking hilarious and I don't know how. Yeah, they're all like great comedy talents. I don't know, but it, it, like The Rock, I know he's just good. Dwayne Johnson, he may be built like an action star. It's similar to the Jason Statham thing. Funny with the whole top Hobbs and Shaw thing. But both of them, to me, are better when they're being funny than when they're being action characters. <laughs> There's a certain humor to giant guys in funny situations. I don't know what it is. Schwarzenegger worked it well. There's just something absurd about watching these monster men, you know, in situations like, he shouldn't be there. He's a giant. Yeah. Anyway, in the interest of time... Let's move on. Give us another one for you, Orc. Ah, uh, so this this won't be contentious at all. Knives Out is fucking amazing. Here's the problem right. with that, though. I don't want you to talk about it at all because I haven't seen it, and that's a mystery oh, movie. No. So I don't want to hear no, I, a goddamn thing about that movie. Oh, okay. No, this is no I'm going to say it's on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it. It is a fantastic mystery movie. You know what? I don't have to wake um, up tomorrow. I'll fucking watch it when we're done recording. I'll just go watch it. Yeah. Right no, go check it out. Um, Daniel Craig is having a blast with his foghorn leghorn impression. <laughs> like, that's the only way I can describe it. It's not a good southern accent. It is so corny and over the top, but he kind of yeah, so leans into I don't know. it. I don't know if I've ever said this openly on the, the podcast before, but I am a major sucker for a good, like, Agatha Christie type thing. Anything, you know, a mystery, especially like a murder yeah. mystery. Like, I love me some Murder on the Orient Express and and what I just recently read the actual book for the first time. But, like, I read a bunch of mysteries. And I, was, I don't remember, like, any of them, but I, I love stuff like that. So I just, I never got around to watching Knives Out. I know it was on Amazon Prime. I have Amazon Prime. So, yeah, I'm going to go watch that. So. Yeah, no, check it out. It is really, really good. It's really, it's one of those mysteries. Like the mystery is compelling, but all the characters and the little beats and the little stuff, you're, you're there for that. And uh, Chris Evans is a gem. Like I know we know how good he was at Captain America, but this is proving that no, he still got it. He can still pull off as this smarmy sidebar. Asshole. I love the fact that Chris Evans, in reality, has turned out to be pretty Captain America y as well, which has been great. Yeah. I know he had I know he had a scandal this year, apparently, but from what I could tell, it wasn't a big deal. There Everyone wasn't was like, a Captain scandal. America. He showed the internet his dick by accident, and everyone went, Thank you. You are awesome. <laughs> thank you. Can I have thank you, sir? Can I have another? Yeah, that's how much we all love Captain America. Not only did we not look at the dick pic, we thanked him for it. That's America's dick pic. <laughs> exactly. And like, and we're all just like, move along. This is all good. So, no, I know oh, this is going to have the whole Ryan Johnson nonsense, which I don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole. All right. We're stopping right now because here's the thing. I like Ryan Johnson, and I, but we don't talk Star Wars here. So, anyway. Yeah, no. Moving um, on. <laughs> my, my number five... Uh, which was the the last movie I saw in theaters before the like COVID shut everything down was Onward, the um, the Disney D and D brother road trip movie. You know what I'm talking Urban about? Fantasy. Yeah, yeah I yeah. watched. I okay, so Onward is okay. It's it's yep. very simple. 
what's good about it and why I have it higher than, say, Jumanji is because I like it for a lot of the same reasons. They're just slightly different reasons because I am a giant Dungeons and Dragons fan. I have two games every week. So seeing that kind of stuff in a urban fantasy setting, like it, it tickled my particular sensibilities. So, for instance, if Ulrich wasn't as into it, I'm not too surprised because Ulrich's not a D&D player like I am. So it's, it's one thing to know fantasy tropes. It's another thing to be specifically Dungeons and Dragons tropes, which are like a subset of fantasy tropes. And as far as the movie's concerned, it's funny because it's the, the trailers kind of played up as like a father-son thing, but the father is not really a character. The father is just a a tool to get the two brothers in a in a road trip movie that just happens to be trolls and manticores and spells and stuff like that and tom holland and chris pratt play off each other really well i literally love what the chris pratt character but i'm a sucker for that specific kind of character the the older brother who's like a rocker in a van and who's who's like got a heart of gold but is a screw up i i don't know i i love that burnout a burnout yeah i love that kind of character that I, I like that. I think I remember, I think it was Jeremy Johns in his review said, this is the kind of character that in any other movie would be played or voiced by Jack Black. And I yep. think there's truth in that, but I, I like 100%. what Chris Pratt. Yeah. I like what Chris Pratt does a lot though. So there's not really a whole lot else to talk about. It's a Disney flick. It's Dungeons and Dragons, but modern, the mom is actually surprisingly awesome. I love everything about yep. the mom. So what are your thoughts? Ulrich? I'll say this real quick because I don't got a lot. This is the movie that made me realize that urban fantasy in, you know, movies and TV shows is not only lazy, but half-baked. Like, if you have magic and you still evolve cars, I feel like you're not using this world to your full potential. Well, oddly enough, I've always felt like that is the the reason why in Dungeons & Dragons and other kind of games, they have these histories that go for, like, thousands of years. And for a while, I thought, well, how come they didn't, figure out higher tech and the reasoning that made sense to me was because they're reliant on magic they never bother inventing like electricity because magic does why would you need to when magic does what you need it to do exactly <laughs> and that kind of stuff in this movie like you have magic why would you devolve into what we have now that doesn't seem like the interesting story now that aside uh it's a fun movie chris pratt and tom holland are great um Theoretically, this should kind of push a lot of my buttons. It it doesn't. I don't know why. It was entertaining. I just I, I walked away from this one going, huh, you know what? I'm glad I saw that on Disney Plus. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to another one for you. And actually, can you skip the next one on your list? Because it's on my list too, and we'll talk about it then. Yep. So The Invisible Man is an amazing horror movie. I, I know I said that about Doctor Sleep. But goddamn, this this is a fun one. Uh, so, first of all, is that available anywhere? Because that's another one I didn't get to see that I wanted to. Ooh, I I think I don't know where I don't think this one is currently available. All right, I do know we talked about it with uh, the Chippa a couple times, and the one thing I remember everyone saying that this movie is brilliantly blocked and framed. In that mm-hmm. it, it does things, and again, I haven't seen it, but this is what I was told. It does things where it will frame a shot and block its actors so that it's very obvious to the audience that there should be someone standing in what is apparently an empty space. 
Yes, and you are constantly paranoid of that because it establishes very early on there is an invisible stalker and he could be in the background of any of these scenes and sometimes he is and sometimes he isn't, which really suckers you in and makes you just kind of go, stop it. I can't take the anxiety. Now, we watched this with our patrons when it first came out. Like That was a really fun experience. I so missed if you that. Were there, oh, man, you missed the oh, fuck moment, which when you see this movie, you will know what the oh, fuck moment was because we literally all shouted, oh, fuck. <laughs> well, I got I to gotta find it, so. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, again, this is one of the dark, this was part of the dark universe before that imploded. Yeah, it's too and bad. It re- well, this is very smart in that it takes it back to, okay, let's do one movie We'll have a little bit that we can maybe do, you know, something else with. Well, real but quick, as a, as a by sidebar, large, self-contained. as a sidebar, I want to point out that I think everyone trying to make universes after the MCU did it wasn't inherently a bad thing. I think shared no. universes are awesome, and for things like mm-hmm. classic monster movies or kaiju, or you know, that I wanted those. The problem wasn't doing that the problem was that they were rushing to try to do that because that's how you got things like that uh that mummy movie that everyone hated <laughs> so. yeah the last gasp at the uh connected universe yeah no but this one takes a very simple pro- uh, premise what if you had a stalker who was abusive but had the ability to turn invisible and that's kind of how this plays out. It takes a very simple. It combines. Is it a is uh, it a spoiler? Is it a spoiler to ask? Can he turn invisible, or is he just invisible? Because the original Invisible I'm Man not, couldn't change. Yes, it is a spoiler. I'm not going to tell you how he turns invisible. Okay. Because there is so much layered into that. This, I think, is. I'm going to look up who did this real quick. So I want to talk about the director because this is another up and coming master of horror. But again, this is a Blumhouse, so very small budget. But the way they're able to use it, I mean... Isn't one of the ideas, too, that the movie makes it... Doesn't make it clear for a while whether... Doesn't the movie not make it clear for a while whether there is actually an Invisible Man or she might just be crazy? Yes, thing is with that concept that maybe she is so traumatized from the abuse that she's thinking that... She's making this all up, and you aren't sure. This is a, a outstanding horror movie that relies on psychological stuff and building that tension of focusing in the background and kind of making you go, wait a second, is it focusing on the background to make me think there's someone there, or is there someone really there? Am I crazy? What is going on? Why am I paranoid? Now why am I walking around the house with a butcher knife? <laughs> escalation of events that kind of brings you to this oh fuck now i feel like i'm in the movie and then when there's that oh fuck scene you just go that's what this movie's been building to well it's also one of those things that in real life i think everyone's had that moment where like even you're in even your own house and you turn off a light and then you look down a hallway and you're just uncomfortable and so mm-hmm. basically taking that feeling and ramping it up into a movie with a, you know, a set, you know, set pieces, I think is smart. Yeah, no, this is a fantastic movie. Leigh Whannell, again, fantastic director. He's had a few misses for me, not many, but he had a few. And the dude gets whore. Like, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but he did upgrade, right? Leigh Le- Whannell? Yes. Uh, 
if he did, upgrades amazing. I know you haven't seen it, so hold on. Let me let me see. Upgrade written by Leywanel. Yep. Yeah. So no, from everything I've heard about upgrade, which I I swear I will watch it as soon as I yes, find you it. You need to watch it. Okay, if I have to watch Knives Out, you have to watch Upgrade. <laughs> I gotta find it. But this is again the dude gets horror, and it's a very clever updating of the classical story that does leave the the door open of like hey, we want to do a sequel, but we don't have to. And I'm really uh, kind of curious if they are going to do more in this vein of combining the old with the new. I will say, knowing Upgrade, and especially how Upgrade ended, I am now anxious about how Invisible Man must end. Because <laughs> Upgrade's ending fucked me up. No, if I that. ranked this, this one was one of those ones hovering near the top of my favorite movies of the year because it's so good. And it literally has me on the edge of my seat the minute it gets going because it just, it ratchets that tension, which I love and hate. All right. Well, my next movie is the first one of my movies that I would say I loved. Like the last three movies I I talked about, I liked. This is the first one that I loved. And I actually know that Ulrich didn't like it at all, but I understand why. And that's Palm Springs, which I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised if anyone hadn't heard of it. I'm also not surprised if, if you out there also didn't like it for similar reasons that Ulrich didn't like it. But for those who don't know, Palm Springs is the next movie in the series of what I like to call Groundhog's Day, but. So, like, Edge of Tomorrow was Groundhog's Day, but Starship Troopers. And Russian Doll was Groundhog's Day, but there's two of them. And so now, un, and now Palm Springs is Groundhog's Day, but there's three of them. And it's also a, like, I don't know how to explain. I mean, because the original Groundhog's Day was kind of a, well, partly a romantic comedy, but really wasn't. This one is more of a romantic comedy. The, the, the key, though, of whether you're going to like it is if you like Andy Samberg. And I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So... Because Andy Samberg's the main character. Uh, him and... Oh, I feel bad for not remembering the, the girl's name. I know J.K. Simmons is in it because I love J.K. Simmons, but I can't remember the... which. Anyway. Oh, no. I, I understand. She's... Uh, give me a sec. I'll look up her name. Go ahead and rattle off. All right. Well, anyway. So it's a simple premise. We've got the Groundhog's Day situation. Andy Samberg has already been in the, the loop for probably years based on, you know, what clues we get from him and he accidentally brings in someone else he's at a wedding in palm springs he has to relive this wedding every day and he accidentally brings in this girl into the loop there's a way he can because the the actual mechanics of the loop have something of explanation in in palm springs not enough to actually take away from anything but there is a a inciting thing anyway and so then the movie is just hey let's do funny things and romantic things and also kind of really messed up things in the Groundhog's Day style. I mean, J.K. Simmons plays essentially a guy who uses his time in the loop to brutally murder and torture someone over and over again. So, yeah. So the actress's name is Kristen Milioti. Uh, you probably know her as the mother from How I Met Your Mother. And Honestly, I think I would like this movie if it wasn't for Andy Sandberg. Like, That's I don't I, like him. 
that's why I said I don't hold it against you at all, Ulrich, for not liking it. Because if you don't like Andy Samberg, especially in his style of humor, you're not going to like this movie. I don't think the movie hinges on his his performance or anything like that. But he is one of the two main characters, and like half the movie is his humor, essentially. So if you don't like that, you're not the, the other parts of the movie are not going to make up for it. But if you do no. like it. If you do like Andy Samberg, the other parts of the movie are going to enhance what he's doing, which is what happened with me. So I will say this and then not say anything more because time. I wanted to like this movie because everyone else did. And honestly, I didn't know if I didn't like Andy Samberg. But then I watched this and was like, no, you're annoying. I don't like you. Go the fuck away. Yeah. Anyway, we don't have to talk about it anymore other than, like I said, I, I loved it and... I would I would say if you like Brooklyn Nine Nine and Groundhog's Day, just watch it. The, that's that's your litmus test. If you like both those things, if you hate either of them, don't bother. <laughs> anyway, next movie right. from you. Uh, were you ready to do this next one? No, no, you have to still skip. Do the second one you have. Okay. Um, does Hamilton count? Like, can I talk about Hamilton, the big stage recording? Disney Plus. Here's, here's, what I, here, here's what I'd say, Ulrich, is I haven't seen Hamilton. Is the version you watched, like, done from many multiple cameras and high quality? Kinda? Yeah? Then I'm I mean, I've say, watched it enough, I should know with confidence. I want to say it counts, because Hamilton is a big cultural thing, and having an excuse to talk about... I mean, we could always do another episode talking about our favorite plays and or musicals, so give me an excuse to talk about Into the Woods and Avenue Q, but... You can't. I'd say you fun. can. I'd say you can talk about Hamilton right now if you want to. Okay, so here's the fun thing. A lot of you assumed I would hate Hamilton. Like Chris, I know for a fact you were dreading my thoughts on Hamilton because you thought I would hate it, and I I, I kind of understand why. But it's a historical musical, and you got me at historical. Like musical, you don't need historical. And here's the funny thing. Like, yeah, but you are, you are nitpicky about history. Oh, yes, I am very nitpicky. Unfortunately, revolutionary history is not my uh, ride-or-die point in American history, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I know America, I know revolutionary history, but not well enough to tell you the inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. First time I watched this, I was like, huh, well, this is pretty good. I like this. Second time I watched this was when I was working on our Edgar Wright Smackdown, which you can find on our Patreon. And it's like, I need something to drown out the throbbing in my head. That song's been stuck in my head. And the third time was like, oh, no, I am a fan of this. I know enough. I know enough about Hamilton to know that I will love it when I see it. I just haven't got around to watching it. (laughs) This is one of those ones I was all ready to be for lack of a better word, above. It's like, no, this, this, yes, that's a story, but it's not going to get me. But yeah, no, I have found myself humming it. I have found it, you know, crowding into my thoughts. And it's really, really good. Here's it's well here's, it's here's well what else, I, I do want to say that, like, I don't even feel comfortable talking about what makes Hamilton interesting from a conceptual point of view because of who I am. Right. Like, let me, let me put it this way. Yeah. From what I understand, part of what makes Hamilton so great is simply the casting and yep. and uh, 
and Manuel Lin Manuel using you know what styles he uses for the founding fathers versus what he does with King George. And as a you know not Puerto Rican, <laughs> not black, like wait just... wait wait you're saying you're a white guy? <laughs> yeah, as a white guy, I feel like as much as I uh, as I've heard about Hamilton, I don't. My opinion, especially since I haven't seen it, and my words don't matter, and I don't even feel comfortable talking about the synopsis. And Ulrich, I feel like in your case, just say you love it, and maybe we can move on. <laughs> I do. No, I'm not going to talk about the minutiae. I'm going to talk the history. It's fun. I love anything that gets people to look into, you know, history, especially American history, because, who boy, get a couple beers in me. I will, I will give you my full unedited rant on that. But here's my favorite part, and then I'll drop it. George Washington has a hype man. <laughs> George Washington has this big build to of it's motherfucking George Washington. And it works so well because the mythos, it's like it's 100% the mythos of George Washington. And the actor they're playing is like, oh yeah, George Washington. It's like a wrestler's entrance. You know what I'm saying? Nice, nice. And I love that so much because it's like, finally, someone that gets my love of dead historical figures. <laughs> All right. By the way, if you haven't heard about how George Washington died, that story is tragic but hilarious. Maybe we can talk about another time. Uh, or just watch the doll about it. It's great. Anyway, so the next movie on my list, the one I made Ulrich skip on his list twice because I was going to talk about it on my list. My number three, Birds of Prey, The Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. A.K.A. the movie that had way too long a title and the last movie I saw in theaters. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. I saw Onward afterwards. That was my last in theaters. But uh, but Harley Quinn was so good. Like, I, after the DC movies in general had been, you know, bad, and especially bad. Suicide Suicide Squad was, was bad, although Margot Robbie wasn't bad in it. So I, I understood why Birds of Prey was the next option. But I didn't – I had no idea what to feel. I am a big fan of Harley Quinn as a character, and not for the reasons you're probably thinking – Although those are also true. <laughs> and so I was, you know, I was looking forward to it. And then it happened. And man, I, I was not prepared for how brutal of a movie that is. There's a sequence where this guy has his legs like on an ottoman or something. But there's a space, you know, between his chair and the ottoman. And Harley just jumps and lands on his knees and bends them the other direction. And the camera yeah. lingers for a sec. And me and my friends who saw it were just, oh! It was, and that happens a few times with things like that. There's a sequence of Harley going 1v an entire police station with a baseball bat and a shotgun that shoots confetti. And it's glorious. Yes. This is in war with Invisible Man and one other movie for my number one movie of the year because this is when I'm like, I I liked her performance as Harley Quinn, but I'm not sure I want to see a whole movie of hers. And then I watched and it's like, oh, this is fucking good. Why right. more of you motherfuckers go see this? Speaking of Ian McGregor, him yeah. as, as Black Matt, he is so good. He is so he terrifying is and creepy in this. There's a sequence. No. Yeah, there's a sequence where he just orders like this girl who's in his club 
to get on the oh. table and start stripping, and it is one of the most uncomfortable scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Yes. Like, ever. No, if you are one of those people like, I'm gonna hit skip, I don't blame you. Also, Zaz is there, and Zaz is as creepy as Victor Zaz should be. Yeah, I like, would say he's, he's got not... this whole toady vibe to him. He's not comic accurate in the slightest. Well, that's but okay, because the best version... Toadiness. That's okay, because the best version of Victor Zaz is the one in Gotham who wasn't comic yes. at all, but he's amazing, so... But yeah, Harley Quinn was... I also... I, I have made this very clear, but in addition to Karen Gillian, one of my other major Hollywood crushes is Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who plays Huntress, and I did not at all expect the direction they went with Huntress's character, which is... Because Huntress, as a character in the you know comics and the animations and even the Arrowverse is kind of I hate to use this term but I can't think of another one she's kind of a bitch she's kind of meant to be you know she's kind of kind of femme fatale thing but it's offset by her being something of a petulant child I mean Huntress's whole thing is that she's trying to get revenge on her mafioso parents because she like doesn't like them essentially but they take that and they 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 make it interesting they find a good new way to do that it's like hey what if someone who has been, you know, witnessed the violent murder of her parents and then raised on revenge, what would they be like? They'd be a bit awkward. They'd be a bit, you know... That's the key word, is I had never thought of Huntress as awkward. And the scenes of her, there's literally scenes of her practicing her one-liners in the mirror <laughs> are wonderful. Which is perfect! Holy shit, that's good. No, this is a very it's a low budget, which it works. But you see the confines of, you know, this movie did not have as much money as they needed. But it also creates a great third act. Like, holy shit, the third act. I will I will also say that if you haven't seen this movie, this movie will make you feel the emotion of a lost breakfast sandwich. Yep. No, <laughs> we talked about this with uh, Chris over for our patrons. And this is one of those fun ones. Like, Slagathor does not like movies to the extent that i do mm-hmm. but i showed her this one and this is one that she was cheering and all in for and it's like this movie as much as i enjoy it as a man this is for you ladies like this is a f- actually that's kind of what i loved about it that i and look at it, and go i can't wait to show this to my daughter well that that's kind of what i actually love about it right because i yes. see i see enough movies that this isn't like a you know, hot take or anything, but I see enough, you know, masculine, manly protagonist movies, mostly because most movies that have been made are that, that seeing things that are like Harley Quinn that are just different and still good, that makes it then better. I don't know how to explain Mm -hmm. this, but I, it's No, it's, it's like we, you can recognize, like I can going, I enjoy this movie. But you know who's really going to dig this movie? Women, because you don't get enough of this type of movie. And I can't wait to show it to my daughter. Not only because the gleeful violence, but because of the giant middle finger it shows to us dudes. It's like, you guys are shit. I'm like, yeah, 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 we are. I'm I gotta actually punch you in the face now. I deserve that. Yeah, and I actually saw a great, I don't remember it. I think I talked about this when we talked with Chris. But I, someone on like Facebook pointed out that Harley Quinn's design changes from Suicide Squad two birds of prey show a drastic transition from male gaze to female gaze. And that shit fascinates me. And I love that. So no, think- it is okay. what, yeah, no, that there is 
a great like this movie female director female editor and uh oh no what's 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 her name i'm blanking on the third character we haven't talked about who has an awesome arc in this black canary yes yeah. I, I love they they tease her power up until the end because again they don't have the budget but you're like i know what you can do and when you do it it's going to be cool and then it's like bam there it is and you're like yay anyway so in the interest of time let's move on to another one of your flicks okay this is one i'm sure most people haven't seen because of where it's at and that is the mortuary collection i've never even heard of this i don't blame you this is a Tales from the Crypt style anthology movie with a little bit of creep show mixed in that is available only on Shudder. Oh, okay. And give us some plot synopsis real quick then. So Clancy Brown is playing a creepy ass mortuary keeper who is telling this young woman a series of stories in a back and forth nature. And there's this creepy escalation between these two characters as the story goes on, like, okay, something bad's going to happen, but neither of you are on the level. And then when you get to the climax of it, you're like, oh, holy shit, they pulled off the hat trick of both your anthology stories are just as good as your main plot. Hmm. If that makes any sense at all. And I guess, I mean, a lot of times in these, I'm a sucker for anthology stories. Go check out our Stephen King episode where we talked about Creepshow a lot. This has some great anthology stories that are really good. I mean, some you see coming, like there's the middle ones like, oh, I know where this is going, but it's still cool. And I like the message, but you're still going back to what is he up to? What is she up to? And in the, it's both horror and comedy. And this, I will break from what I've said about other horror movies. This is a gore fest. This is a bloody, gooey, nasty horror movie that's like, I know what you like. You like Evil Dead. So here's some Evil Dead stuff for you. Hmm. All right. Anything else to say about it? No, I'm just, I'm a bit of a sucker for Clancy Brown. Like, he shows up in something like, oh, I'm going to watch that. And it's an anthology movie? Take all my money. Yeah, sorry I can't add more to it, but I, I have not even seen a trailer. I've never heard of this until you just mentioned it, so... Shutter. Well, that's right. kind of the problem of it being only on Shutter, and that's why I'm putting it on here, is... I do want to spotlight that. I do think you need to see it. It's really, really good. Shudder is a bit of a mixed bag, but you know what? You pick up the free trial, watch this, and come back. Okay, my my number two movie of the year should surprise no one who knows me was The Gentleman by Guy Ritchie. I need to see this movie. I am a Guy Ritchie fan. I have been a Guy Ritchie fan ever since I first saw Snatch, which I still to this day claim is one of, if not the most quotable movie I have ever seen. I, <laughs> I love Lock, Stock, Two, Smoke, and Barrels. I love Rock and Rolla. I actually didn't see his King Arthur, but eh, whatever. So You didn't miss much, yeah. except this could have been good. Point is, when Guy Ritchie does crime films, there's no one who does what he does better. Like He really has a niche carved out and it's amazing for anyone who doesn't know because i don't know how how popular the gentleman was uh the gentleman is a guy ritchie film starring uh, matthew mcconaughey and charlie hunnam primarily but colin farrell plays a really important role and it mcconaughey is a marijuana kingpin essentially who has a good life a, a, a wife that he loves and he wants to get out of the marijuana game he's he's tired of it so he wants to sell 
his entire enterprise, essentially, to another dealer. And things start happening, essentially, with the other dealer and a journalist that has been following things that are going on. Charlie Hunnam, more importantly, is McConaughey's right-hand man. Like, McConaughey is the boss, but Hunnam is the one who makes things happen. And the main plot device of the story is that a reporter essentially has been following uh, McConaughey's character and he is talking to Hunnam and saying like, hey, here is all that I know. And the obvious intention being like, eventually, if you don't, you know, pay me off, I'm going to ruin you, essentially. I'm not going to spoil what twists and turns it takes, but it is (laughs) wonderful. And the Colin Farrell thing is that at one point, Part of the marijuana operation gets essentially robbed by a bunch of like high-end teenagers who just fight with their fists. And it turns out they come from a like martial arts gym that Colin Farrell runs. And Colin Farrell finds out his kids ripped off like the biggest marijuana kingpin and has to then figure out how to square things essentially with him without getting his kids killed. So I don't really know what else to say about it. Charlie Hunnam for me is the main draw, honestly, like, and, and I have a weird relation thing about Charlie Hunnam. I feel like when Charlie Hunnam is good, he's really good, but usually he's good by playing a very specific kind of role. I mean, I love sons of anarchy, so I don't know what Mm -hmm. to tell you, but Oh, the lost episode. Yeah. Oh, that's right. For those who don't know, we did an episode in Sons of Anarchy and we lost it. So anyway, but yeah, Charlie Hunnam is great. I totally identify with, man, if I was in a crime organization, I feel like I would be the Charlie Hunnam character, which maybe is egotistic (laughs) on my part, but I never see myself as the kingpin. In fact, that's kind of the dynamic with me and Ulrich. Ulrich would be the McConaughey character and I'm the Charlie Hunnam character. Like Ulrich's the boss who makes the, you know, deals and deals with the people. And I'm the one who like protects and actually makes shit happen and advises. And so anyway. I'm, I'm curiously okay with that. Yeah. Well, all the reason for you to see the gentleman so you can get where I'm coming from I when I say this. I do need to see that. I love Guy Ritchie. There is a, I probably shouldn't. Yeah, there is a scene at the end involving a freezer and a scale that I think you, Ulrich, specifically are going to love. And you're going to totally can, identify with the character, that, with McConaughey's character. Can we just give a Gangs of New York style movie to Guy Ritchie? Like, except it'll be Gangs of London. Or you want to go really dark? Gangs of Glasgow? Like, I thought <laughs> the movie he's building. Maybe. And I'd love to see that. I'm curious what that is. I know that the UK has got some real nasty street gangs. And I'm curious what Guy Ritchie could do with an 18th century gang movie. Well, it's not just that. It's not just that Guy Ritchie's really good at making a crime film. It's that he does, like, crime dialogue better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, he like he does, like, Kevin Smith kind of, or, or even Quentin Tarantino kind of dialogue, but, like, specific to crime underground, and it's amazing. <laughs> so, Yeah, no, you almost got to wonder, like, what went on in your life that you know this so well? Is there something we don't know? Probably. Anyway, in the interest of time, moving on to another movie from you. Ooh, this is going to be a tough one because I won't talk about Antebellum, but so much of this movie is built on not knowing what's going on. Yeah, I don't know anything about Antebellum, really. 
I will say this much. The trailers kind of spoiled it. So don't watch the trailers. Just take my recommendation of go see Antebellum. It's really, really good. Okay. So I will give you how the movie opens. And I will, I will dance around spoilers the best of my ability. And I will talk about it the best that I can. It opens on a plantation, a particularly brutal plantation, where uh, I need to pull up the IMDb because she's actually a big-name actress and I feel bad for not knowing who she is because I don't know names. Uh, Janelle Monet. Yes, Janelle Monet is playing... Wow, this got surprisingly bad reviews. Shame on all of you. This is a good movie. Is playing a slave who is regularly brutalized by the commander because there's a Confederate army stationed there. And if you're a history person, you're like, wait a second, a lot of this isn't adding up. What's going on here? Anyways, so basically, it's just kind of this the first part of this movie is boy, life on this plantation sure did suck. Why don't we talk about this more? Why don't we address this fact? So on and so forth. And the second act is. What the fuck? What is symbolism? I'm just going to shout at you for the remaining 30 minutes of this movie. Huh. Yeah, I'm not going to... I, was, I wasn't going to read the plot, and I'm still not going to read the plot, but my eye did catch a word that doesn't make sense in the setting you've just described. So I'm curious it's, how that comes about. This so. is a really good movie, but I don't want to spoil it because... Honestly, like the the trailers kind of tipped their hand of what was going on for me, as well as my knowledge of the period. Like, okay, listen, I know what they're saying isn't accurate. I know what they're doing isn't accurate. I know something is going on and I have a vague idea. Now, Slagathor, when I watched this, she was like, she didn't pick up any of that. So I'm assuming the average viewer is like, no, this isn't, you, you don't know what's going on till the second act switch. And the third act is just this big, bombastic fuck you all, which I love. Like, I've talked about sometimes I like subtlety in my movies, and I'm typically opposed to blaring, loud, this-is-my-message-style stuff. But this is a case of, no, this works so well. Also, the sound design and music in this movie is so good and the cinematography is so good the story honestly is a bit weak but everything else around it is amazing all right all right i i really 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 have to suggest this movie but be warned it is not a fun or pleasant watch in that the first two acts are very unsettling but the third act is this great catharsis and it was what is what i would call an important watch and not in the sense that this is a big, heavy drama that is important as much as this is culturally and historically important, especially nowadays. Mm, all right. So, yeah, that's all I can really say about Antebellum. Okay. Well, the last movie that is on Ulrich's list, and he graciously skipped talking about it because he could tell on the list that it's my number one, and it's been my number one since I saw it at in, like, February or something, and is a movie that, under any reasonable circumstance, I should never have gone to see, and that is Underwater, by William Eubank. 
I don't know that name, but that movie is so good. For anyone who missed it, which by the numbers is most of you, <laughs> Underwater is essentially Alien. I mean, it's it's the same movie as Alien, but instead of being in space, it's at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, which is way scarier of a location than space. Sorry. <laughs> well, and, it's something you can relate to. Yeah, also... I've mentioned many times I have thalassophobia. I have deep fear of large bodies of water, especially the ocean and especially the parts of the ocean where you can't see literally where this movie is set. So the basic premise of the movie is that sometime in the near future, there is a mining operation set up throughout the Mariana trench at a point, roughly a mile above the base of the trench Kirsten Stewart, along with a handful of other miners, essentially, live and mine. Something happens, they call it an earthquake, that damages the facility. Most of the people get out, but like seven of them, including Kirsten Stewart and the the leader and uh, a few other characters, are left without any escape pods. Their only hope of getting out of this situation is to go all the way to the bottom of the facility at the the floor of the trench put on deep sea pressure suits walk about a mile across the floor of the trench get to another facility where there are escape where there are escape pods and that is the entire premise except that something is stalking them in the deep water <laughs> something that shouldn't be there because nothing invertebrates shouldn't ex- or I guess things with skeletons, essentially. Yeah, invertebrates shouldn't exist at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Nothing should exist there. It's dark and horrible and cold. Yeah. So I've tried to dance around a lot of the other movies, like plot points and whatnot. I am going to spoil this one entirely because I've tried to sell people on this movie without spoiling it. This movie's almost a year old now. So Yeah, yeah. So if you don't know... But in my opinion, this is the reason to go see this movie, right? Yep. Figure so, out how you get to this. Yeah, yeah. So they are – it's a 90-minute movie, right? So it's solid action. Kirsten Stewart does a great job. Like she's she's really killer in it. And the thing that's stalking them is legitimately horrifying. Like they're in the bottom of the ocean and this thing is like – I don't know. It's like a pumpkin head looking thing with long limbs and, and a crazy angler fish mouth. But all of that was just, like, just cool and just good, like, B-movie monster stuff that's happening. The thing that drove it over the top for me, and I'm this is the big third act reveal, I'm going to reveal it. So if you don't want to know it, just here's my point. Go see this movie. It's amazing. If I haven't sold you on it yet, there's a point at the end of the movie where they're reaching the final destination, the, the the other facility, and there's like a tunnel kind of thing that's on the way there. And on the roof of the tunnel, and this tunnel's like like maybe 15 feet off the ground is the, the roof, and as they're walking under it, they realize that there's a bunch of these monsters all sleeping above them on like the, the roof, or the ceiling of this tunnel. And they're, they try to get through without waking them up, and fail they kill the one that wakes up but then all the rest of them start waking up and you think oh man this is the problem and you don't even the whole tunnel moves and it turns out it wasn't a tunnel it was an arm and that 
it's Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. It is just straight up Cthulhu. No fucking the, way the around directors it. come out and confirmed that. Like, yeah. if any of you are going, is it really Cthulhu? Like, no. The director came out and said, yeah, it's it's Cthulhu. I yeah. thought that would be fun. Yeah, Cthulhu is there. Th- like thousands of these creatures live in his skin, essentially. Like he is essentially an army to himself, but he is there in all his tentacled, winged glory. And the earthquake was him. The mining woke him up, and then he fucked up the facility. So I love that we drilled into Cthulhu's head, and he's like, "Hey, what the fuck?" Yeah, and then I won't. I won't spoil how the the end end of it is. But once this thing happens i was literally sitting in my chair my jaw as far down as it can go because i'd never seen cthulhu in live action before and he looked great he looks terrifying like they just aim like a flare up so you just see his face for a second and it is horrifying and i don't know if that's because i'm just terrified of the underwater or it's actually like a legit great monster design but it's a great monster design he, it is so good. And the fact that this movie is essentially a a ninja uh, Lovecraftian movie that you didn't realize it was a Lovecraft movie until the And then you start putting weird pieces together that actually has a lot of odd similarities with the not terribly racist parts of The Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> the not racist bits, few that there are. Yeah, yeah. But the point is the good parts of Call of Cthulhu are actually represented here in a lot of like weird, interesting ways. So this is underwater is almost a Call of Cthulhu adaptation. Not quite. It's still different enough that I, that's a stretch. But it's got some interesting similarities other than just Cthulhu. But he cements it, and and I have not had an experience like that with any other movie this year. Where I was sitting there, absolutely mind boggled that this thing happened. And it's funny because afterwards I went and watched some reviews, and I remember one of my favorite reviewers was like, yeah, this is a good movie, but it's going to be no one's favorite movie. And I was like, well, you're wrong. It's my favorite movie. Yeah, no. This one, again, it's one of those three that wrestled for first place. You know, Birds of Prey, Invisible Man, this. And maybe it's a sign of just 2020 and how few movies I saw, but it's really good in that it builds tension so well and i again according to director this is supposed to be an alice in wonderland style story and i'm either not smart enough to see that or i'm missing something i see this like this is alien like the very first alien and that one very much comes down to like it opens with Kristen stewart brushing her teeth in her underwear which maybe that sells you on this movie i don't know (laughs) hopefully it does she is attractive in this film you know, yes, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm a guy. At the end of the day, I, I got to be honest. So now we're, we're going to sell you. And this kind of me like, oh, no, we were too mean to Kristen Stewart. She's a kick ass actress. It's not her fault that she was most well known for a particularly bad set of films. So which, well, there's a whole other baggage we're not going to go into. But Watson's like, huh, you make a compellingly good action star. And the creature design's good. This is a very low-budget movie, but again, it uses it to its advantage of... It doesn't really need to show you the creatures. What's terrifying is the inky blackness around the characters, that you can't see anything. You have nothing except what they can see, and you are underwater, and which immediately kind of puts in like, oh, one small flaw, they're dead. And they establish that very early on. They're like, yeah, this is game over for these people with the smallest 
incident and it suckers you in and you're like, oh, oh, that's good. Oh, yeah, they make really... they make the uh, the threat is real, not just the creature, but there is like a single crack in your suit means death. The pressure. That's the you. thing. You don't even need the creatures. It's just like they're on the bottom of the ocean. That would suck. But it's like, no, no, I'm going to, you know, put some other existential existential whore in here of Cthulhu. And the whole movie, you're kind of wondering, is that Cthulhu? I mean, tentacles and underwater, but it can't be Cthulhu. And then a surprise, it's Cthulhu. And well, you're it's like, funny. oh my God, it is Cthulhu. Well, it's funny because like seeing the the creature that's stalking them, the the more like the nine foot tall one, you're like, oh, that get, that's kind of got a Lovecraftian vibe. But you write off as, yeah, it's because Lovecraft developed his style based on underwater creatures so that's just coincidental and then just straight up cthulhu shows up and you're like oh no this is okay this is completely intentional no this is a really good bare bones sci-fi horror movie also trivia it is the very last film ever to be released under the 20th century fox brand before walt disney changed the company's name to 20th century studios that's just sad for so many reasons. Yeah, but it's also but an interesting... That was literally a guy's name. Like, that was his lasting legacy, and it's gone now. Well, it's not gone. It's just attached to other things. But anyway, so yeah, uh, I didn't see a movie this year that made me as happy as Underwater did. And considering I'm terrified of the water, I, I can't explain that. Other than if, if me telling you that Cthulhu's in this movie doesn't make you want to see it i don't know where how we can continue honestly so tristan stewart in her underwear come on we're we're hitting both demographics people also i will add this too. people that love women's underwear i will add this too and I, I say this is a positive thing so let me explain it has the right amount of tj miller now this was filmed before yep. tj miller had his stuff <laughs> happen i'm not going to go into that because that's actually very complicated but it doesn't overuse him. It uses him just the right amount, uh, you know, to to work, I think. So. No, that works. I think that's all our movies for this year. Yep, that's that's all that we had to talk about. And uh, this year has been a this year has been the Shit single show. worst. This year has been the single worst year of my life for a lot of reasons that uh, most of them personal. Uh, at least I got one movie. Something wrong. I like The Gentleman, but it's not on the same level as snatch so but underwater is staying in my lexicon of like films forever so i at least i got one legitimately amazing i want this to know this movie forever kind of movie out of the year you know yeah no i got some good ones and i do wonder if this year had proceeded as normal and if all of the movies that were supposed to come out this year came out this year what my list would look like but that didn't happen so I got to talk about some, you know, smaller movies. Like, I don't know if uh, half these movies even would have made it on my list to talk about. Like, they're good, but I kind of feel like the ones I saw at the beginning of January would be, you know, kind of shoved aside. Like, I probably wouldn't have talked about Jumanji 2, even as good as it was. It really would have probably lost, like, Wonder Woman 84. Yeah. Well, let's hope that with vaccines and, and whatnot, maybe we can have a more of a normal 2021 i don't i don't believe in the idea of going back to normal that's a, a bullshit thing but maybe we can have at least a 2021 with more films how about that <laughs> given what this year is i do believe there's a normal normal is not living in fear 
Oh, by that definition. Okay, yes, let's have that. <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's because we've gone over time, but it's a movie. It's like a top movies of the year, so we expect these to go over time. But let's still move on real quick to suggestions of the week. And because I don't actually want to talk about mine, I just want to mention it. If if we're suggestions of the week tend to be things that we're doing recently, and I recently started going back on uh, the Funimation app on my um, my PlayStation 4 and rewatching Dragon Ball. Not Dragon Ball Z, original Dragon Ball in uncut form. I don't know if I could recommend it to anybody. <laughs> it's oddly crass in ways I don't remember from being a kid because when I was a kid I watched the cut version on TV. But once it gets to like oddly enough, once it starts dropping a lot of the crass humor, it becomes a pretty solid shonen. So I don't know if I suggest it, but that's what I'm doing lately. So take that as you will. Okay. I'm going to talk about one I'm sure most of our listeners have heard about, but maybe not all of you have watched, which is a little show on the CW called The 100. I've heard about it, but I don't know anything about it. So The 100 is, this show's been running for a while. I haven't finished it. I'm, I'm like three seasons behind. It's all on Netflix. I'm working through it. Um, but the first season, you got to get through. I'm going I'm to say that up front. The third, first season is not as good. But basically, the story is, in the future, the Earth is an irradiated wasteland, and we're all living in space, but we need to get back to Earth, so we're going to send all our angsty teens to Earth first to make sure it's habitable. And okay. that first season's real Lord of the Flies. Ah, uh-huh. Like, in all the worst ways. <laughs> with the angsty, attractive, quote-unquote, teenagers, because all these actors are in their 30s. Yeah, yeah. Trying to survive on Earth. is just, it's, it, it's cringy at times. But then season two on, when they really get into the world building and the exploration of the stuff and, you know, figuring out what a world would look like and how cultures would evolve is really, really good. Like, they have whole languages and cultures built around, like, hey, we're the folks that got left behind while you people flew off to space. And we have, you know, built weapons and culture based around, you know, the world that was. And it's really fucking good. Like, way better than a CW show should have any right to be. And I say that going, this market was the young teen, early 20s market. Again, mm-hmm. by casting a bunch of actors in their 30s. Yeah, But it's really good in watching this slow evolution. And like I said, I'm a sucker for world building. And they do that in, you know, droves. And like, hey, here are the 12 tribes. And here are their languages. And here's how they were shaped by where they lived. And here's this little bit of history. And hey, here's your big, you know, threat for this season. It's really fucking good. Sidebar, I once once read... That in order to have a stable population, you need to start with something like 25 pairings. And like that will give mm-hmm. you enough genetic diversity for a stable population. So, yeah, no, they've got a hand, like they, they've resolved, there's a good amount of people. And it's really kind of cool because it's kind of like the second season kind of has this colonist versus native narrative, which mm-hmm. I can really get behind as a history guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, And it just kind of continues to expand and build from there. There is a little bit of soap opera drama to it, but they really quickly realize, yeah, they quickly realize like second season on, it's like, oh, you're not here for that. You're here for this really cool world that we built. That's nice to hear. 
part of it's, you know, it's based on a book series. I've read the book series. But again, it's a really, really cool show. It's got some actors you probably know, like the actor that plays Shadow in American Gods is here as our sexy brooding, you know, barbarian warlord. No, cool. He does he does sexy brooding very well. So. Yes, he does. This is how he got this. That's all he does is sexy brooding. And <laughs> I again, I don't. This is a really good show. I hear that the final season kind of jumped the shark, but you know what? Second through wherever the second to last season was, really good stuff. Really fun. Again. I got to give him credit for the level of effort they put into world building in this show that they didn't have to. This could have just been another teen drama set in a post-apocalypse. All right. Well, you know, thanks everyone for listening for like the hour and a half or however long this comes out after editing. And Ulrich, you want to take us into our outro? Yeah, again, thank you for listening. Thank you for following us through this hell year we've been in. We know there are lots of options. We thank you for choosing us. Yes, thank you very much. And whatever platform you're currently listening to us on, hey man, that's thanks. We we the list I have in front of me says SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And honestly, if there would be an easier time for you, or if you have some friends who listen to specific platforms only that's not on that list, tell us what that is, and we'll we'll look into it. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.